0: All right, Genesis this morning. I want to talk to you today about a tale of two dads. And this is going to be a slightly different message than we normally preach. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture this morning and probably make uh, less comment than I normally would um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, it's been a lot of other things today, so I shortened my message anyway. But also, we're looking at a, a couple of stories from the Old Testament, and it's really difficult to preach from narrative without reading a lot of Scripture. You have to get the Scripture in there. Of course, that's never wrong anyway, but we have to get that in there for you to see the context. And so uh, grab your Bibles, have them on your lap. I'm going to have you look at several different passages, and we'll read down through them. If you did not bring a Bible today, there's one in front of you in the seat. should be anyway, and uh, it's the same version that I'm reading from, so you can just follow right along. Why don't we pray, and then we'll get into this. Father, we thank you so much for all that we've experienced here today. Thank you, Lord, for a good group that's here today. Thank you for the day and all that it means. Uh, we just pray now that as we turn our attention to your word, and uh, Lord, we've had some fun, we've, we've laughed, we've sung, we've worshiped, we've, we've, we've just had a, a lighthearted time, but I pray now, Father, you'd calm our hearts and minds and help us to approach this reverently and recognize that we're looking at your word. Father, it's not the words of, of a man or of men. It's your word, infallible, inerrant, perfect, holy, our only guide. And so I pray today that you would just guide us, fill me with your spirit, help me, Father, to say the things I ought to, to say absolutely nothing I ought not, and uh, may I be bold where I need to be bold, kind where I need to be kind, just help, I pray, and may we all respond as you would have us to respond, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let us consider this morning two fathers, two dads, one of them dates to antiquity, the other one is a typical 21st century dad. And so let's look at the first one. The first one would be Abraham. Abraham. And now right at the start, let me say that Abraham was a saved man. That's what we want to look at this morning, a saved man, a believer. Had he lived in New Testament times, we would have said that he was a Christian. But since he lived before Christ, we are content to refer to him as a believer, a righteous man who believed God and trusted God. And you need not take my word for that, because Scripture very, very, very plainly tells us this about Abraham. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4 verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham was saved, he was a believer. And therefore, on this day, I think he is worthy of our study. We could learn some things, I suppose, from, from anybody. We could learn some things from a lost man as well. But the main lesson that we would learn from someone who is not a believer is uh, their need to be saved. That's always the very first lesson. And nothing else in the Bible makes sense until you have trusted Christ and you have come to know him as your Savior and Lord. So we see Abraham, a saved man. And so let's read some scriptures fill out his resume a little bit, and see what we can learn from him. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, first of all. Genesis chapter 12. We'll read a few verses starting in verse number 1. Genesis 12, one. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The first lesson that I I get from, from the story of Abraham is simply this. He was a man who followed God. He was a man who trusted God regardless of the cost. In this passage, we see that he was instructed to leave his homeland to follow God and that he did just that. He left everything that he knew to follow God. And think about that. It, it didn't happen in a vacuum. That affected other people as well. Uh, if we go back to, the, uh, to uh, uh, Genesis, uh, I have a wrong reference here, but if you go back a little bit, you'll find out when the genealogy <laughs> is mentioned uh that he, uh, his father was also affected by that as were his wife Sarah, and we see here his nephew Lot. Scripture describes Abraham as a very wealthy man, a very influential man. And so, no doubt, his choices affected even more. Not just his family. He no doubt had servants. Of course, we know from our study of Scripture that he did. They were affected by this. Others in his sphere of influence. And so, his choice was far-reaching. He followed God. He trusted God, regardless of the cost. Look at chapter 13 and verse number 1. Chapter 13, verse number 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also Who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you, if you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other, Abraham, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. A lot of lessons we could learn from that text, but the one that I want you to notice this morning is this. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his livelihood, choosing rather to trust God. He was willing to give up his personal gain in order to trust God. And I I get that from the matter of his letting Lot choose. You can have the best. I'll sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice his livelihood. Look at another passage, chapter 22, Genesis 22. And we'll just read three verses there. There's much more to the story, but we're just going to read the first part of it. Genesis 22, verse number one. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And of course, you know that story. If we read further, we would see that that's where God tested him and uh, took him right to the edge where he was willing to sacrifice his own son for God. And from that I see that here was a man who gave his children to God and trusted God with them. At this point he had one. He also had Ishmael, but he he gave him to God and trusted God with him. And there's a lot of other lessons, but I want to stop with those because I want to move to man number two. But I I want you to think some of the results of Abraham's choices. He had followed God and trusted God regardless of the cost. He had sacrificed his livelihood choosing to trust God regardless of the cost. He had given his children to God and trusted God with them regardless of the cost. And some of the results of that, well, he was known by God. As a man who would instruct and lead his family for God. I love this verse in Genesis chapter 18. And you don't have to turn to this one; I'll just read it to you. The Lord God said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. I love that. I love the fact that God said, I know Abraham. I know he'll do right. I know he'll teach his children. And that was one of the results of those choices. Another result was that he did raise a son, Isaac, who went on to follow the Lord. He raised a son who uh, followed in his footsteps and served his God. And, and the way he lived, we're told very plainly, pleased God. So much so that hundreds of years after his death, James would write, in James chapter 2 and verse 23, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Wow, wouldn't that be an epitaph to have on your tombstone? The friend of God. So there's one dad. All of us would do well to learn from and emulate Abraham's positive life choices. But let's think about that second man. There's a second dad as well that we ought to examine. And as it turns out, he was related to Abraham. He was his nephew, Lot. And I hear you right now. You're sitting back there saying, wait a minute, preacher. I know that you said a minute ago that we're going to talk about a 21st century individual. And I suggest to you that Lot is one of the greatest examples we have in Scripture of so many 21st century, not just men, people. Let's study him a little bit and see if you don't indeed think that he would fit in quite well in our day and age. Now, we have to start out again by emphasizing one thing, because it's not going to be real clear as we go through this at first. We have to emphasize the fact that Lot, just like his uncle, was a saved man. He was a believer. And if we just had the accounts that we're going to read in Genesis, you probably would scratch your head and say, I'm not quite sure I see that, because there's not a lot of evidence of it there. But we don't have to stick with that. We have more. Peter Peter told us very, very plainly in his second epistle. He said, If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, tormenting his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Three times there he referred referred to Lot. Three times he referred to him as righteous, a righteous man, which can really only mean that he was a saved man. He was a believer. And so we ought to be able to compare him with his uncle Abraham, shouldn't we? They both had that in common. They were both believers. Both were Christians, if we could use that word, and we would expect similarities. But unlike his uncle, who was such an example of right choices, Lot was an example of a different sort. Let's look back at chapter 13 again. Genesis chapter 13. Let's just, we already read the first, uh, I think the first 11 verses. Let's start there in verse number 11. Maybe just look at that one verse. I think that's enough since we already read it. Verse number 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Of course, you remember what we just said about that. That was where Abraham gave him the choice. He could choose. And we see that Lot looked up and saw the best and chose that. And we can think about all kinds of different things, but I, I think I see something there. I think I see an ambitious man. I think Lot was ambitious. I think Lot was the kind of a person who sought gain, who sought wealth, who sought increase in the things that this world values. And that ambition rose to the point where it actually caused strife and pain and between him and Abraham, between he and his own family. And so Abraham suggested they go their separate ways. We saw that Abraham was magnanimous. Abraham was willing to sacrifice. What we see of Lot is that he chose what he thought was best, apparently not concerned with the impact that would have on somebody else. He looked up and he saw this lush, beautiful area. He said, that's what I want. Now, just as an aside, this has nothing to do with the message, but I always think of it when I read this story. I have visited Masada in Israel four times now. Masada is a mountain fortress Located on the uh, let's see it would be the south east south east tip of the sea of the Dead Sea, Herod had a fortress on top of that, and it 's a very interesting place to visit. but what always makes it most interesting to me is that many scholars believe that Sodom and Gomorrah was located right there at that southern tip, and you 're so high on that mountain that you can see half of this, the Dead Sea as you're standing up on top of that mountain, you just see this whole thing laid out before you. And I can tell you that there's nothing there that looks lush. There's nothing there that looks like the garden of the Lord. There's nothing there that is well watered. What is there is dust. What is there is desert. What is there is death. There is nothing that would, that would make you think that this is what he would look at and say, that's where I want to go. And, of course, the answer is in the same verse because it very plainly says there, yeah, that's the way it looked before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Every time I stand on a mountain, I look down there, I think, what an astonishing vision that is of the judgment of God and how final and devastating it is. Nothing is there. Dust and desert. But anyway, in Lot's day, it was beautiful, and so he chose it. Let's look over to chapter 19 in verse number 1. Chapter 19, verse number 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. I would suggest to you that this passage tells me that Lot was not only ambitious, but he was worldly. He liked the conveniences and the lifestyle that he saw in Sodom, choosing it even to the point of sacrificing his own family. He knew he was choosing to live amongst sin. And apparently he decided to overlook that in order to get things. The lifestyle that he wanted. Now, there's, a, there's an important lesson, and we skipped from chapter 13 all the way up to chapter 19. Keep your finger in chapter 19, because we're going to stay there for a few moments. But there's a very important lesson you need to see about Lot here. Because I don't know if you notice where he is now. Things are different now than when we last saw him. In chapter 13, he had left his his uncle Abraham, and he had moved towards Sodom. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord Genesis 13:12. I think the King James Version says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He didn't just jump right into the sinful lifestyles of these people. He moved close to it, just to the outskirts of it, where he could look at it, where he could see it, not really be in it. But then we continue in the narrative and we find that uh, some things happened. We didn't read any of those passages, but if you look at the ensuing chapters between chapter 13 and verse number 19, you find that at one point in there there was this great conflict in the area. Some Bibles at the heading of chapter 14 had that, the war of the kings, or the battle of the kings. Alliances had been formed, this great battle took place, and Lot was for a brief period of time a prisoner of war. In that conflict, Abraham went and rescued him, and you can go and read all about that on your own. But notice chapter 14, verse number 12. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. Where was he last time we saw him? He had pitched his tent towards Sodom. Where is he now? He's living there. He dwelt in Sodom. Sodom. And so we're starting to see a progression now, aren't we? And uh, and now if you if you notice there in chapter 19 where we just read, if you look at that first verse, you see where he is now. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Sitting in the gate that has a very specific meaning. He's no longer just watching from afar. He's no longer living it as a visitor or an outsider. Now he is fully assimilated into the city of Sodom. One of the Influential members of that society, participating in its day-to-day life and even its government and its leadership. Lot's ambition for the wealth and benefits of this world had led him to compromise his values, surround himself and, with and even participate in his sinful lifestyle. Now, does that sound like a 21st century person? A 21st century American Christian? He was like so many today who know what God wants, maybe even sees how God blesses faithfulness. Lot had to have seen how God was working in Abraham's life. He saw that, but he chose the lifestyle of this world anyway, saved, but wanting the things of this world. That was Lot. And that ambition, And that worldliness came at a cost. Let's keep reading in chapter 19. Look at verse number four. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you. And you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men with, who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. My, there's so much in there we could talk about, but let's think about this one thing. Here's a result of his choices. He became hardened to and calloused to sin. I do not know how to explain verse number 8. Can anybody explain to me verse number Eight How could anybody come to a place in their life where that's where they were with respect to sin? But here he was now, faced with the logical conclusion of his choices, with the results of this slippery slope of sin that he had embarked upon, and, and his whole family is affected by it. And we find that he's so hardened by it, he's even willing to sacrifice his family to it. I find that astonishing. He had become infected. He had become degraded by the sin in which he had immersed himself. And there's a few more lessons. Let's read just a little bit further. Look at verse number 12. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-laws, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city. Take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were married to his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. I always have to pause on that verse. I think it's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible of the grace of God. I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. And then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So he had become hardened and calloused to sin. We see some other things here. In verse number 16, we see that he became slow to respond to God's leading in his life. How could he linger? He, he lingered. How could he linger? Because he had become slow to responding to God's leading in his life, just like we all do when we get on this same slippery slope. Verse number 14, he put off leading his family concerning the things of God. I think that is such a sad thing. His sons-in-law thought he was joking when he talked to him about the things of God. And the implication there is plainly this, that this is the first time they'd ever heard him do that. They'd never done it before. And it's, 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 just, it's not just them. Why, why is it only the sons-in-law that are mentioned there? Why, why, why And why only his wife and his two daughters were saved with him? He had two sons-in-laws. He had at least two sons, maybe more. It's just the plural that's used in verse number 12. Where were they? Lot had sacrificed them. He had sacrificed their souls on the altar of his ambition and worldliness, and rather than bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, as Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 teaches, he had let the influence of this world wash over them unchecked. And when their time of decision came, they chose the only thing they knew, the world and worldliness. And they died in Sodom. Verse 26, we see another result. He lost his wife. Lost his wife. She looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Much conjecture about that, much discussion about that and commentaries and things. I I think there's two possible reasons why she looked back. Perhaps she looked back uh, because she was missing that lifestyle and didn't want to give it up, just like the rest, the family seems to have done. I think there's also the possibility she looked back out of sorrow at seeing her sons pay the price for Lot's decisions. But in any case, why ever she did it, she became another casualty of Lot's ambition and worldliness. And if we were to keep reading, which we will not because we're out of time, but if we were to keep reading this morning, verses 30 and following, you can see that. The two daughters who went with him, the only ones delivered, Lot and his two daughters, the two daughters were also corrupted completely, even though they were saved from the destruction. You can read the the, the verses to to follow there, and you can see that that is the case. So how do we apply these things to our lives? How do we apply it? I mean, I'm I'm talking about a tale of two dads today. It's Father's Day, and so the implication might be that I'm only talking to fathers, but these these are just examples that apply to all of us. So ladies, don't think you're off the hook here. These same things apply to you as well. How do we apply them to our life? The first and foremost obvious application would be this, that we should strive to be like Abraham and not like Lot that we learn from Abraham and emulate his choices, that we learn from Lot and shun his choices, that we be an Abraham, not a lot. We were in uh, the Deerfield Circle restaurant the other day. There was a lady wandering around in there. I think she was one of the people who worked there. And she had a T-shirt on that had a salt shaker picture on the back of it and, and, and also a light bulb. And it said, Be these and Raven was with us, and she asked, what is that? And I noticed that it had a little Bible verse under it, and then I realized what it was. We're supposed to be salt and light, and so this, verse, this shirt was saying, be salt and light. I thought that was kind of a cute shirt. We ought to have a shirt that says, be Abraham, not Lot, because that's the truth. But more specifically, we need to determine to put God first no matter the cost, as Abraham did, rather than putting our personal ambitions And pleasures first, regardless of the price, as Lot did. We need to raise our children in the training and admonition of the Lord, as Abraham did, rather than abandoning them and letting the world raise them, as Lot did. I think the words of martyred missionary Jim Elliott are appropriate here as we consider these two men and their choices. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Abraham put God first, sacrificed some of the pleasures and successes of this world, but he gained eternal reward and influence and blessing. Lot, on the other hand, put God on the back burner and put the world first, and he lost everything that he thought he had gained. And so I ask, which father which dad resonates with you.